This is the daily lectionary comments for uh, the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's uh, we're going to look at Numbers chapter fourteen one through twenty five and Luke chapter eighteen verse eighteen to thirty four. Numbers chapter fourteen. All right, so the catastrophe that began uh, in yesterday's devotion with the bad report of the spies now comes into full flower. The entire congregation erupts and rebels. And they return to this theme that we've heard before in the wilderness. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out uh, uh, into this land? To fall by the sword? Um, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's the bottom line. That God is here about to give them what he has promised for generations and generations. And they choose Egypt instead. In fact, they even decide they're going to select a leader and, and, uh, and march our way back. This is too much. Now, uh, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies who remained faithful. And Joshua now steps forward to to give a defense uh, why they should go up anyway, very much like what uh, Caleb had done. And, and he also talks about the delightful land, but the, the things that, uh, that he hits uh, are, uh, are this. Look, if the Lord delights in us, this is verse eight, if the Lord delights that he will bring us into this land and give it to us. If the Lord delights in us, don't fear these people, verse nine says. They're bred for us, we'll eat them right up. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I mean, this is a classic fear God and do not fear uh, what's in front of you, God is. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's essentially what Joshua was saying. And it is absolutely true. And what does he get for this? The people determined to stone him. Now, at this point, the Lord appears, not unlike the way he appeared uh, with uh, Miriam and, and Aaron and Moses to sort out that problem. Now he appears before all the people. And he talks to Moses, uh, verse 11. This is, this is important because what, what the Lord says is, verse 11 says, how long will this people despise me? Look down on me. Think, think of me nothing like this. How long? Uh, will they not uh, believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, this is exactly what God had had threatened before in the golden calf incidents, identical to what we see in Exodus 32. And what happens now is very much like what happened then. Moses does what Moses has done over and over again for these people. He intercedes for them. Verse 17, but Moses said to the Lord. Now, Moses's arguments are, are in some ways kind of humorous. Uh, he says, look, what will the Egyptians say? I mean, you, you, you brought these people out of Egypt and then you kill them all in the wilderness. What are they going to say? What are the Canaanites going to say? You know, they, they, they have heard that you're coming, that you're leading these people, and now you kill them all in the wilderness. What they're going to say is that you weren't able to lead them into the land of Canaan, so you changed your mind and you killed all the people. Now, that's not a real persuasive argument, you might think. What does God care what these people think? But it does tell you something 
of the attitudes of the ancient peoples, they would not have believed that the Lord who was the God of Israel was Lord over all things. They would have believed that it was just a local deity. And if this is what happened to these people, uh, they would have just assumed he's not much of a local deity. So anyway, Moses uses that argument. But the real argument is not what will the Egyptians and what will the Canaanites say. It's what did you say? And now we go back again to Exodus, the, the golden calf incident. And this is Exodus 34. And this is what the Lord said. After that, the Lord appeared to Moses. Remember, Moses was in the cleft of the rock and he declared his name, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Look at verse 18. It's the same thing. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and so on. Moses quotes the Lord's own words that he is slow to anger and a forgiving God. He forgave the people after the golden calf incident uh, and the relationship was repaired. It, it was damaged for a while. It was repaired because that's what kind of God we have here, a God that forgives. And now he is saying, uh, verse 19, please pardon the iniquities of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. In other words, the whole relationship between God and his people really is only surviving because God is a forgiving, a constantly forgiving God. And then God answers, I have pardoned. Just like what happened in the golden calf incident. God does pardon, does not uh, destroy the people and start over with Moses. But there are consequences. Just as there were consequences then, there will be consequences now. We're going to learn uh, a little bit more what the consequences are. But for right now, the Lord simply says uh, in verse 23, uh, none of those who despise me shall see this land. We find out that this whole generation is going to die out in the wilderness. So uh, the the final uh, uh, the final words uh, here in our lesson uh, today is now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are dwell in the valleys of verse twenty five turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea in other words turn around we're going back into the wilderness since these people that you are afraid of um, you can't go up there now because I'm not taking you in there so let's turn around and go back into the wilderness we have more work to do. And so we're going to leave it at that, and we're going to explore tomorrow further implications and consequences of this terrible catastrophe, the people rebelling at the edge of the promised land. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18 and following, Jesus says in verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which is the same as saying they can't. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. A rich person can't get into the kingdom of God. Now, this is a startling statement, but you have to understand that by rich, Jesus isn't not referring simply to the size of a person's bank account. The scripture regularly uses the term rich, not just to refer to how much money or wealth or power somebody has, but how deeply they are invested in this present world. The rich are oftentimes equated with bad people and be people who oppress the poor and the weak and the needy who are the good people. But the point isn't that rich people are bad and poor people are good. Uh, it's, it's that people who are invested in this world are bad 
and people who are not, they are poor and needy because they depend on, upon God are, are good. So that, that's really the sense of this. And he's saying that somebody who's deeply invested in this world has a God other than the one true God. They can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That gives rise to the question then, who can be saved? Who can be saved? If people who are invested in this world, because any honest person will look at yourself and say, I am just not, my heart is not just 100% totally with God all the time. I, there are many things in this world that I love. And honestly, who then can be saved if that's the case? And the answer is, if it's a matter of goodness, if it's a matter of being the way you're supposed to be, nobody can be saved. But that's where this word of the Lord comes in that, that, sets us right. He answers what is impossible with men is possible with God. If it was up to you and what you can do, you can't do it. A rich person can't be saved. A person living in this world cannot be saved because your heart is never going to be with the Lord the way it ought to be. Fortunately, God is a God who saves uh, those who are not good. Now, finally, there's this verse at the end uh, where the, the disciples come to Jesus and say, well, we've left everything for you. And Jesus says, no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Notice he doesn't say that if you get rid of all of your money, you will be rich. You'll get all the money in, in this in, 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 here in this time. He says, if you leave your family, you'll get a much larger family here in time. He's talking about the church. If you leave your family here in this world you will, to, for the kingdom of God, you will gain a much larger family in the church, not only here in time, but in eternity.